for those of you who don't know me, my name is Moises. Um, I'm the campus pastor of our Waxhaw campus, um, and I'm here with you today. Uh, I've been asked to share the word as Pastor Andrew is out of town this morning. Um, he asked me to bring the word, so here I am. You're stuck with me. Um, now that's a good thing, right? Um, <clears throat> let me see if I can get this thing going. Um, my name, my name is Moises, like I said. Uh, listen, if you want to call me Moses, call me Moses. If you want to call me Moy, what, you, whatever feels right, go for it. Um, I've dealt with it all my life. I got my beautiful wife, Rosie, here with me, so that's always exciting, you know? Whenever she's sitting there, there's a little bit of, you know, like in the first service, she wasn't here, so there's a little bit of freedom, right, out there, and now she's here. I'm like, oh, you know, I got to watch myself. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, our son Sebastian, our little miracle, not our little miracle, he turns five today. Today's his birthday. He's out there in the kids section. So um, just, just beyond blessed, guys. Can we say we're just blessed people? Yeah, I look at a room full of blessed individuals. We don't mean that in an arrogant way. God gave us promises after promises after promises. Promises to keep you, to watch over you, to save you, to rescue you. You know why? Because he wanted your faith. And as we look at this room, I see a bunch of blessed individuals. You lack nothing. Nothing. Has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about, but I feel like saying it. Because as I'm sitting there worshiping God this morning, I'm realizing how blessed am I? You know, we ask God for so many things all the time. And when we start to recount all the things that he's already done, man, we, we're, we're, it feels kind of silly. I'm blessed with an amazing wife, a beautiful son, an amazing family, and a church body that is uncomparable. I'm just thankful for you guys. Give yourselves a hand this morning. Come on. Sebastian is growing up to be quite the, the, the giant, okay? He, um, he's five, and he's like right here. So I tell him all the time, I said, I'm 38. I know that's a shocker. Yes, I know. I feel it every morning when I get up. Uh, I'm like, he's got this much to go, 33 years to cover that gap. I think he's got it. So be in prayer for me. Um, but no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up our Promise of the Father sermon series this morning, and, and I'm, I'm super pumped up and excited about it, as I always am, right? So if you didn't bring your energy, I told somebody earlier, listen, he's like, I know you're going to bring it today. And I say, just in case I don't, go get you some extra coffee, okay? But I'm going to be excited about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this word out there for you, and I hope that you could take some home with you that you could put to practice. Listen, you got a long weekend coming up. We don't work tomorrow. All right, so let this thing settle in. Take comfort in the fact that I won't be back next week. <laughs> so if you don't like it, you're like, yeah, well, that was all right, but at least we get Andrew back next week, so we're good. Anyways, no, let me go, let me go. I'm, I'm doing too much. Here we go. So we, we've been discussing and learning about the promise of the Father. The promise that, you, that should serve as some sort of an added benefit to our faith in our lives. The promise that is meant to be for all believers, mothers, fathers, entire families, and ultimately for the church. I'm going to get loud. If they don't turn down my mic, that's on them. I love those guys back there. Here's what the scripture says as it relates to this promise. In preparation for his death, 
Jesus gives the disciples a promise that would come and never leave them. It says in John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. If you don't know this by now, which I think at this point of the service, I think we've all come to the realization that GLC is an Acts chapter 2 church. We believe in the power of the Spirit both in faith and in practice. You're like, oh, here comes this Pentecostal preacher. Yes, here comes. Okay? <laughs> you know, one of the things that saddens me the most is that as believers, we have understood God the Father according to the Old Testament. We, we've been receptive to who he is. We put our full trust in Jesus and acknowledge the work on the cross. But we have somehow completely bypassed the concept of this transition in guard that takes place when the Holy Spirit comes. Sadly, we tend to be people that when we don't understand something, our easy way out is just to ignore it and stay away from it. And in that process, we end up missing so much. Can I tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is not one of those scenarios. By ignoring him or avoiding the interaction with him, you may be missing the most vital part of your faith today. You believe in Jesus? Well, Jesus emphasizes the importance of this transitioning guard that takes place. And if Jesus does it, we should play co pay close attention to it and become more involved in what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. There's a unique responsibility for us to know and experience the Holy Spirit today. You know why? Because the Bible gives us a history of redemption with three major divisions. And these divisions reveal progressively the three persons of the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before the coming of Christ, the greatest test of truth was the oneness of God's nature and his monarchy overall. Especially in respects to the person of God the Father. Then Jesus comes. The great question was whether people would recognize and receive the incarnated Son of God. We had the fullness of the deity of God. Now Jesus dies. He's risen again. He exalts the Father. And then a new prominence on the church is given. Friends, we live in a unique time in history. We are living in the days of the Spirit. Just as Israel had a special responsibility to know and honor God the Father in the oneness of his nature, just as the people of Palestine had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days of his flesh, we too as the church have the responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit of God. Are you following me here? This is extremely important for us to consider because the same sin 
of the, uh, the people of despising and rejecting the work of God the Father and the, the people not believing that Jesus was the true Son of God could be the same idolatry that we could be putting into place by us refusing to acknowledge this transition. We should be thankful that we were born in the day where the fullness of God is in display, revealed fully to us to receive. It is amazing that you and I as believers get to experience that. Everyone who loves God should want all of God, not just a portion that they're able to understand. In fact, the Bible says we won't be able to comprehend with our minds everything. That doesn't mean that we don't believe in it. He is a person. He is not a force. He is powerful, but he's personal. You find the most important truth of this found in John chapter 14 to 16. He is a person with mind, with a will, with emotions. The spirit speaks, acts. He can be grieved. He can be resisted, ignored, even sinned against. He comforts, counsels, and guides. Now, my question to you this morning is, is it easier for you to believe in Jesus than it is to believe in the Holy Spirit? We, 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 would, we sometimes say to ourselves, I wish Jesus was right here with me. We say to ourselves, we used to, back in the day, you young folks won't get it, but we used to wear bracelets. What would Jesus do? <laughs> Put them up. Let me see them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus actually says in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Our faith requires this transition in guard. We believe in Jesus and what he did, and no one is going to be able to ever replace that. But he also did something amazing when he left and left us the Holy Spirit as a replacement that will never leave us, the Bible says. Many of us struggle with our faith and we don't understand why the day-to-day -day life that we live is so opposing. That the Christian life that we want to live by and that we, the standards that we want to stand on and, and the things that we want to be based on are so hard to accomplish. Can I tell you? That it may be that you don't have the most important piece of the puzzle. That you may be trying to operate without all the pieces. If you find yourself having a hard time believing in this and applying this to your life, I, I urge you to really seek God and look for it and seek it. Not to ignore it just because you can't understand it. You may say, Moises, but this spirit talk makes me so uncomfortable because of the way I've seen it expressed. It's wild. You're probably sitting here today, and all you could think of is that those memes you watch online and the people going crazy. See, I see some people laughing already. Bad experiences and negative displays do not negate his existence. I grew up all my life in a Pentecostal environment. What do you think was going through my mind as I'm sitting there? And I'm like eight years old, seven years old. I'm like, nope, that's not for me. That is crazy. Flat out crazy. Dad, I don't get it. Mom, I don't get it. 
But guys, I'll say it again. When someone plays an awful Beethoven, we don't get mad at Beethoven for it. You follow me? You don't say, Beethoven, what have you done? You know it's the person playing Beethoven who's messing it up. So if I give you a horrible display of the Holy Spirit, why do we get mad at God for it like he made some kind of mistake? We need to stop getting mad at Beethoven. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> and start focusing on the benefits that this has for our lives. Not letting humanity get in the way of the most essential part of our faith today. Just because someone goes about it the wrong way doesn't mean that God made a mistake in leaving him as a promise to us. I'm not saying that recognizing the Spirit is an easy thing to do. God says, I am that I am. So you say, why would we need any more? Take hope in the fact that neither the, the early Christian church didn't know either. They were having a problem understanding this concept. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 to 2. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. On the coast where he found several believers. What were they? Believers. All right, you're, you're, you're staying with me here. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So don't beat yourself up too bad. If you're sitting here today like, I don't get this, neither did they. But one thing I have personally come to realize is that the Holy Spirit is best understood when experienced. In other words, I could sit here and read countless and countless chapters and books and, and, and scriptures to show you passages that talk and reflect the Holy Spirit of God. But when you experience him personally, you will understand him best. It's like having kids. You don't really know until you have them. And dogs don't count. <laughs> or cats, whatever. <laughs> you ever have that friend that just yeah I, I used to catch myself because we didn't Rosie and I were married for a long time we didn't have kids to a later age and 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 I would catch myself I always had a dog so I would always catch myself like some friend of mine will tell me a story about his kids and I'll be like yeah my dog Tony uh, no that, 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 don't say that don't say that you know yeah I used to have a dog named Tony I had two of them I had Tony the first and Tony the second so Rosie, Rosie nicks all those names. She didn't want Tony the third. So. <laughs> so our relationship with the Holy Spirit is vital to our Christian living. In Romans chapter 8 verse 9 it says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. This could be a difficult passage for us to understand and, 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 and process, but it is so true. The Holy Spirit is the most active, important, objective truth we have today. 
If you are a believer in Christ, he is with you in this moment. I call him the most objective part of my faith because the reality of his presence, his involvement is so personal and tangible that nobody can take that from me. See, the Bible talks about the linking of the spirit at salvation, a seal that happens. So if you are a believer in Jesus and I ask you, do you have the Holy Spirit? Everyone should lift their hands if you have faith in Jesus. But the Bible also talks about an overflow, a baptism that happens after the fact, an active presence that keeps us engaged with that spirit. I told you at the, at the soaking, when I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my life changed. I was in the youth group before that. I was doing the dances and the dramas. Okay? But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, chains were broken. My calling was affirmed. And my dad will tell you, I came back from that trip never the same. You know who also was there with me? Angel. That's where you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. We were there together. He was like 12. I'm like 28. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that big of a difference. It's still a pretty big difference, but. He was also baptized with the Holy Spirit. And our lives were changed. I knew, my dad, there was always this calling upon my life. You're going to be this, you're going to be this, you're going to be this. But until that trip, until God baptized me with the Holy Spirit, until I felt something new, something different, when I was in that chair crying my heart out, and I looked down when I opened my eyes, and there was literally the chains that I was carrying were broken on the ground. God doing something in my life that years later will come to fruition just because I allow the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why are those experiences important? Well, obviously, they're important because they're beneficial to us. And number two, they're beneficial for the people around us. It's a story we have to tell. The Old Testament and the New Testament are extremely concerned about passing spiritual experiences on to the next generation. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. I love that Sebastian, when he's going to sleep, he says, mommy, we forgot to pray. That's not a shot, mommy. I'm just saying it's good that he reminds us. He knows he needs that. That's what I'm encouraged about. Sometimes I'm sitting there with him. I read the book. And he says, now we pray because who's going to protect us? Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. George Woods said, how can we guard the spiritual deposit that has been entrusted to us? He said, how can we give to our children and our grandchildren the truth and experiences which we have been blessed with? And he says, pass on the full bucket. The whole thing. I'm not going to take anything back. I'm telling you my story and you may be sitting here saying, ooh, that's weird. Chains broke, they were on the ground, this dude is losing me already. I'm giving you the full bucket. 
That's my objective truth. No one can take that from me. No one can take that from me. My mom used to tell me some crazy stories about my dad. She said, we were in a tent revival, Moises, and I'm, a, I'm like 12. She's like, we were in a tent revival, and it started to rain really heavy. And your dad, after worship practice, gets up and says, what's going on here? And he said, I declare the rain. And he did one of those, like, Old Testament moments where he just tells the rain to stop. And my mind says, guess what? The rain stopped. And I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> but that's her objective truth. I wasn't there. Give me the full bucket, mom. Mm. there's a baptism. You know, one of the most powerful aspects of any sermon I tell is the stories that I tell about myself. You know, if, if, if you guys are distracted and I see people looking around and I say, hey, back in my day, everybody's like, Vroom. one time, Vroom, you know? You guys lying, like knowing stuff about people. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> there's a baptism and an overflow that as believers we should experience and if we haven't experienced it yet we should seek it's an enhancement uh, to our personal faith and the faith of others you talked about this baptism last week however there are benefits that even after the fact take place that go on and on and affect our lives in the long term in other words i'm not talking about a one-time event in your life i'm talking about an ongoing relationship that involves you and them there's a residual effect that takes place after the baptism of the holy spirit a daily aftershock that we experience that make us better as believers. Like what? I'm going to give you three quick examples. Number one, the Holy Spirit helps us, helps Jesus to be seen in our lives. John chapter 16, verse 14, the, the, the first part of that verse says, He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. It's amazing to me how folks claim to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and claim to carry this truth within them and say things to other people, post comments and social media that compromise the fruit of their spirit in their words. It's like a whole new world for them. They lock into that social media and it's like... It's, it's difficult because when you're trying to lead individuals, it gets in the way. You know, the most essential quality of leadership is not perfection, but credibility. It's what we live by. It makes an impact that goes further than the moment, than the interaction. C.S. Lewis says, the people who make the greatest impact on the world are those who have their eyes firmly set on the next one. Stop arguing with stupid people. I know that's tough. The word stupid in the Hispanic culture is something you don't say. It's really bad. I know my wife is sitting there cringing a little bit when I say it. <laughs> you know, stop arguing with stupid people because if you do, they will drag you down to their level and then beat you with their experience. We get so caught up in these nonsense, discuss nonsense discussions with people. 
that lead nowhere, that bring no joy, no, no gratification, no, 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 it, it, no blessing, no nothing. Instead, find ways to draw people to Jesus. How do we do that? Show courtesy to folks. Titus 3, 2 says, Believers shouldn't curse anyone or be quarrelsome, but they should be gentle and show courtesy to everyone. We, mo we must learn how to use the right tools when building a church. If the only tool you have in your tool chest is a hammer, you're going to treat everybody like a nail. Offer mercy. Colossians 3, 13 says, Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you. We are all forgiven people. So you must forgive others. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. You have to believe that God has lost count with your sin. He throws it away. He doesn't remind you of it. He doesn't remember you for it. Speak honestly to people. Proverbs 28, 23, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. Don't tell me I did a great job, unless I did a great job. If I didn't do a great job, keep it to yourself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> One of the things I love about Scripture is that the Bible says that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. It uses constantly this contrast. Let grace, mercy, and peace be with you in truth and love. There's this, there's this contrast that the Bible constantly plays back and forth. Where all love is not good and all truth is not good. It's a good balance between the two. It's got to be a little bit of love with a little bit of truth. And a little bit of truth with a little bit of love. That's how we should live our lives. Some of us go down this road of just love. And no one can stop us. Because it's all love. Others go down this route of all truth. And people hate him for it. But it's a balance. In, in order for, for, for others to see the reflection of Jesus in all of us, it will take intentional, purposeful action on our part. In other words, when you're helping row the boat, you don't have time to rock it. You follow me? You, you, you may be going about it the wrong way. If you're, if you're moving the boat, you need to get back to rowing. We got a destination to be at. We're called to do something here. And that's all of our calling. The Holy Spirit is perfect in putting us in the right lane. But some of us love this drama. Like life doesn't seem right without a little contention. You ever met that person that's completely disengaged until they hear something wrong is going down? We can't be those people. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does, because I don't want to, I'm, I'm going too long here. Hang on, hang on. Come on, get me back on track. Rosie, you got to give me one of these, like, you know. <laughs> Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts us. This is something that we should want more of, not less of. In John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of his sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. I constantly ask God in prayer, give me convictions that overpower my temptations, God. 
I want to be strong. Help me. The Holy Spirit helps us to respond quickly to sin and gives us the opportunity to live life and live it victoriously. But strength comes prior to temptation, not during it. It's a cop-out when we decide to pray to God when we're in the middle of it. You want to be ready? Pray ahead of time. Get ready for it. Say, God, lift up conviction inside of my life that I can't even stand the sin around me. I want to hate it. And I know hate is a strong word, but when it comes to sin, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Conviction means the convenience to convince someone of truth. What do we have to be convinced about? We have to feel the foulness of sin. Isaiah said it like this, and this sounds kind of uh, uh, overwhelming, but he says in chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I, have among, I, I live among people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. He knew that in the sight of God's holiness, his sinful was awful. There's got to be a dreadfulness inside all of us if we're called to be this church, the church with a promise that's meant to make an impact on this community, on our lives, on the lives of the people around us. We have to know that there's an utter dreadfulness of sin that needs to be removed. Genesis 39.9, the bottom part of that verse says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Guys, there is no good benefit obtained for sin. God doesn't need your sin to develop you. He needs your obedience and your faithfulness. Your sin in your life needs to go, needs to go now. There is no build-up experience. I don't like it, for lack of a better term. When someone looks at me and says, I'm glad that I went with, through that back in the day. Because when I was out there, doing this and doing that, I really learn to be this and to be that. And I think God doesn't need that to develop you. I believe that he is capable of doing what he wants to do in your life fully in all good. To, to, to be convicted is to understand how our sin dishonors God. And you're saying, man, Moises, you're being so hard on us this morning. Well, I won't be back next week, so take that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You'll see me again. No, I'm just kidding. Psalms 51 says, against you and you alone have I sinned. This is David. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proven right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. All of us fall into that category. I think it's so funny when people say that when they get to heaven, they're going to look at Adam and say, come on, bro. Really? You really had to do that? You could have ate of all the fruits. They're going to start quoting biblical verses at Adam. You do realize that we are all Adam. You and I make that decision every day. For us to stand on some high horse now and say, we would have I would have never ate. Eve would have never convinced me. You ever notice that it's so easier for us to be mad at people who sin different than us? We, we get in those lanes and we drive them. 
Just because they sin different than us. We're like, I got that part covered. I don't struggle with that, but I'll be praying for you, brother. There's only two things we can be here on earth that we can't do in heaven. And that is sin and witness to unbelievers. And I ask you this morning, which one is God keeping you here for? Number three, the Holy Spirit guides us. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. I know all of us in this room could use a little bit more direction in life. A little bit more guidance. Because the truth of the matter is we're all pretty clueless about mapping our lives. The Spirit guides us towards our future. And his guidance is the best because technically he's already been there. When we understand this, we allow the Spirit the opportunity to influence us in the decisions regarding our lives. And when we're sitting at crossroads in life where we don't know where to go, should we go left or right, we allow the Spirit to take full control and guide us. In life, there are usually three things God uses to influence us or speak into our lives. And one is the word, second is the spirit, and another one that tends to happen is life circumstances. But we are obsessed with circumstances. We want to learn only through circumstances in our lives. Let your conscience be your guide is what we hear. Yeah, because our conscience is so trustworthy. We can't confuse that with the voice of the Holy Spirit. If we're called to be a church that's going to make an impact, that's going to do mighty things, that's going to be set apart for a work like nothing the world has ever seen before, our conscience isn't what is going to take us there. It's, it's good. To, if you want to know, if you want to differentiate what's the voice of the Spirit in your life and what's our personal life speaking to and, and what's our conscience and what's the Spirit, usually there are two things that, that tend to separate those things. Number one, the Spirit usually agrees with the Word of God. Okay? And number two, usually the Spirit speaks to us through a time of prayer. Okay? So when you're in that moment with God, and you're trying to figure out what's next for my life, usually scripture or a time of prayer is a place where these things tend to happen. Life without guidance is extremely difficult. I don't drive anywhere without my navigation system. I can know where I'm going, and just because of the traffic features and because it allows me to take the best route, it's, it's made us kind of dumb, but it works. <laughs> Listen, developing a life and an active relationship with the Spirit of God takes time. It's not something you're going to just kind of bounce into and be part of right away. This is not something that happens overnight and that happens through prayer in the altar or that, or that takes place in this way. But it's good that it happens that way, that it takes longer. Because usually when you consider something that is new and that happened too fast, it's probably not that good. Usually the best things take the longest time. If we want stable churches, I'll tell you this. When God wants to create mushrooms, it takes him six days. When he wants to create an oak tree, it's 60 years. So what do you want your life to be? 
A mushroom? Sounds funny, doesn't it? But it takes time. It takes time. It's a slow walk, a marathon, not a sprint. A life of relationship. Our goal as a church is to send seek, to turn seekers into saints, consumers into contributors, to turn members into ministers, to turn audiences into armies. How? With the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? With the life-changing power? With more light and more light and more light and more light? A recipe that never fails? The Holy Spirit is here to lift us up. We get so caught up in the thou shall not as a church. We know the things that we can't do. We know what we're not supposed to do, what we're not supposed, what we can't do, what we shouldn't do. We know all those and we get so caught up in that. But have you ever tried more light? Or is a little bit more of God too much? We have our own equations and our own ways of attacking what we know brings us down the most. And all God wants us to do is just pour a little bit more light into it. But we know what we shouldn't do. And we know what we can't do. And we know what we shouldn't do. I was reading the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And as I read this story and tears went down my face, because, you know, being my height, this is different. For the tall people, you wouldn't know what that feels like. No, but in all truth, like, the Bible does say that he couldn't see over the crowd. So, so as a church, we tell ourselves, we got to make sure we're not the people. Thou shalt not. We got to make sure we stay out of the way. We got to make sure we're not the biggest obstacle to those who need to see Jesus. And we tell ourselves, we got to get out of the way. What can we do as a church to not be the crowd? Man, and we bypass the tree. And we bypass the tree. We're called as a church to lift people up. More like, can we be the tree? that people climb up and see Jesus? Hmm. I, I, I get emotional because I think this is a call for all of us. We're too caught up in the crowd noise and what's happening. This world needs more light. We need more light. We're not an obstacle to people. If we're a tree, if we're the ones lifting them up. You know, we know this is a benefit. This promise is a benefit to all of us, and we know that. But we have a commitment issue. Just like we know working out is beneficial to us. We know it's good for us. But we have a commitment issue. We don't like to do it. We say we don't have time to do it. You don't have time to get sick either. And when you don't take care of your body, that happens. It's okay that we believe in the benefit 
But as a church, we need to make the commitment. This world needs us. The world needs a spirit-filled church that will lift people up so that the crowd noise will become small and people will truly experience the love of Jesus. That's my heart. I believe it should be your heart too. This is not something I'm just called to do. You need more light. We all need more light. More light will make all those nasty things disappear. Pour more light into your life. Pour more light into the church. Don't spend time talking to the devil. I need to spend time talking to God. More light. More light. More light. The promise was given to make a difference. We have the fulfillment of that promise. All God is asking you to do is just lift people up so they can see Jesus. More light. More light. Bow your heads with me. honor to serve you. We know that your spirit is here with us and lives within us, God, and I pray that that would be an enhancement to everyone in the room, not an obstruction. God, there are many things about following you that some of us don't understand. But on top of all that, serving you is our honor. You've called us to this season. The season where people are fighting against one another. Where there's all kinds of confusion and disruption. It just doesn't seem right, God. But you have called us to this moment. God, I pray that everyone in the room will be convicted convicted so heavily that they would overcome their temptations and answer your call as a church. We will not put your promise and take it for granted. We will work in it and operate in it knowing that you're faithful and true. Knowing that our biggest mistakes are only more light away from being resolved. So God, I pray for every heart in the room, including my own. Let us be the church that you have called us to be. One that lives in your truth and love. Help us to honor you, God, with our lives in everything that we do. I thank you, God praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Will you give God a hand this morning? Yeah, this afternoon. That's, um, that's all I have for you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. <laughs> Thank you for being here. God bless you guys. Thank you.